is a familiar passage of scripture for us, and uh, I, I hope it is, and uh, for many of us. Praise the Lord. God was good to us this morning. You know, I got a pair of glasses around here somewhere. I sat there looking for them over yonder. I was thinking, man, Satan has taken them. Praise the Lord. All right, Luke chapter number 24. If you're there, say amen. amen. All right, if you're old like me, say amen. amen. Yeah, caught y'all. All right. Take a look at Luke chapter number 24. We'll read a very familiar passage of Scripture. And we'll begin our reading in verse number 13. Uh, here at this time... Uh, understanding our context, uh, Jesus has been crucified. Uh, he was crucified three days prior to this event. Uh, and this is the day of resurrection. This, uh, uh, the things that we'll talk about this morning, what we'll read this morning, happened on the very day of His resurrection. Uh, which was that Sunday morning, that first day of the week, all right? And that is where we're at right now. And what you need to understand was that at this time, the disciples had not yet seen Jesus, all right? They had testimony that he wasn't there, but they had yet to have a, they had yet to see him. And so, when you are talking here, and when we're looking here, I want you to understand the mindset of these two disciples. The Bible uh, tells us, they don't give us a name as, a, as far as uh, uh, them being an uh, apostle or them being something special in the church. Uh, they're just two individuals uh, that are walking and they are talking about the events that have taken place over the last few days. And so we'll pick up our reading in verse number 13. And the Bible says, And behold, two of them uh, went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about three score furlongs. Now, as far as we know, this is about seven miles, all right? Uh, whether this was a round trip with seven miles to this or whether it was one way seven miles, what we do know is that by the measurement that was given, we were in between about six and seven miles. Now, that doesn't mean much to you and I unless you're going to go and study a little deeper and start reading about where the town of Emmaus would have been in. And uh, there was a town of Emmaus that was referred to by Josephus, the historian, that was about three miles from Jerusalem. Therefore, the trip would have been a round trip of seven miles. All right, is everybody with me? A lot of information that you didn't need, I know, but, you know, it's all in my head, so you have to have it. All right, verse number 14. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. Once again, we're talking about the crucifixion. We're talking about the last three days, all right? The Bible says, And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Ah, this ought to scare all of us. Is everybody all right? Because Jesus was just walking along with them, and he didn't tell them he was there. 
I need somebody to hear me. You better be careful. <laughs> I'll, I'll move on because y'all don't even want to hear that, all right? But Jesus, I, I, he was walking with them and had not yet revealed himself. He hadn't even told them he's listening to what they were saying, but we know that he was hearing this conversation. So how do we know that, preacher? Because we're going to see it in verse number 17. We're in verse 16 right now, though. And so the Bible says, but their eyes were holding that they should not know him. Verse number 17. And he said unto them, what manner of communication? are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad. In other words, Jesus has been listening in on this conversation while he was walking with them. And then he asked him a question. He says, what, what are y'all, what, what y'all all sad about? What are you talking about? Why are you, why are you, why are you in the, uh, the mully grubs? Uh, from from what we see right here, we can tell that they were sad. Is everybody all right? Jesus said you're sad, but I mean, obviously, the 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 manner in which they were communicating about his death, they were sad about. And obviously, as they walked, they even looked sad. Y'all know what that looks like. How many of you hunt? Can I get a witness right here? This is when you come out of the woods and you ain't seen nothing. Everybody all right? This is when you go on a duck hunt and you don't see no ducks. This is when you go bird hunting with the preacher and and he doesn't let you shoot any. All right. Not because it's just because you're a bad shot. But anyhow, and he said unto them, what manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, Answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem? Uh, this is funny to me. Because if anybody knew what had gone on in Jerusalem in the last three days, it was Jesus. And here's a disciple. Come on, I need somebody to have me. Here's a disciple saying, Are you only a stranger in Jerusalem? Do you not really know what went on? Jesus, I, I, <laughs> he had to be holding it in like, Yeah, dude, I hung on the cross. I was there the whole time. But anyhow, he said, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? The Bible goes on in verse number 19 and says, And he said unto them, What things? He's just toying with them. Jesus is messing with them. Is everybody all right? He knew everything that had gone on. He wanted to know there what they thought about it. So he said, what things? And they said unto him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. Look at this verse. But we trusted. In other words, we had our hope. In other words, we've been listening to his teachings and we were hoping that this was the Christ. For those of you that may be new to our church and new to uh, uh, Christianity, Jesus' last name wasn't Christ. Is everybody all right? The word Christ is a word that is used for the Messiah. So Jesus was the Christ. Is everybody with me? He was the anointed one. That wasn't his last name. It wasn't Joseph and Mary Christ. Is everybody all right? All right, so... This was in reference to him, and it says that we hoped, we trusted that he was the Messiah, that he would redeem us, that he would 
come and deliver us. It says, but we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulchre. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulchre and found it, even so as the woman or women had said, but him they saw not. Apparently at this time they did not have Mary's testimony of when he came to her in the garden. This was after, if you go and you read in the timeline, this would have been after the disciples had left upon seeing the empty grave that Mary was visited by Jesus. Apparently they did not have this testimony because at this time they said nobody seen him. In other words, he's gone, he's not in the tomb but we have no idea where he's at. Is everybody all right? We sit here and we judge their faith. Well, they should have known that he was raised from the dead. He had resurrected. But the fact of the matter is, any one of us would have probably been in the same boat, questioning everything that we had heard. Because at this time, they had not seen him. All they could say was he was not there. And so this was the reasoning behind them being so sad, and them walking and talking sadly about the events that had taken place in the last three days. Now, obviously, if they were there for the cross, they would have seen some sad things on that day. But here it continues because he's missing, and they have not seen him yet. So verse number 25, the Bible says, Then he said unto them, O fools, this is Jesus speaking, and slow of heart, To believe all that the prophets have spoken. Man, I I, I looked at this this morning as I was preparing. I looked at it once again and I seen something maybe to help you. But it is the heart that has a problem with belief. Not so much the head. The head is a result, if if, if I can say it this way, of the heart. In other words, look at me, it's a heart matter. And this is how Jesus approaches them. Oh, fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Next verse, Miss Michelle, verse number 26. We'll move on to verse number 27. I've already spoken on this just for a moment this morning. But ought not Christ to have suffered? This is what he's saying. Ought not the Messiah to have suffered these things? In other words, you're, com- you're, you're, you're sad about the events of the last three days. But isn't, isn't that why the Messiah came? Are y'all seeing, y'all seeing this? Jesus saying, ought not? I mean, according to Scripture. Remember, he said, you, you, you slow of heart. To believe all that the prophets have said, he says, ought not Christ? In other words, look at me. There were some prophets that said he was going to suffer. There were some prophets that said that he was going to suffer. 
While we look at the Old Testament prophecies, we see uh, his millennial reign. And, and oftentimes we miss the church age. We do have prophets that testified that the Messiah would come and that he would suffer. Isaiah twice tells us that he would suffer. Isaiah, cha- well, Isaiah, I'll go ahead and give it to you. But Isaiah chapter number 53 in verses number three, it said, He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, we're talking about the Messiah. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes... We are healed. And so the prophets had told about the Messiah's death. They had told us that the Messiah would suffer. And so Jesus says, ought not Christ to have suffered these things? According to the prophets? Verse number 27. I like this verse. Man, I love this verse. This verse means the world to me. Jesus says, and beginning at Moses, the Bible says, and beginning at Moses... And all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. (laughs) I need somebody to help me right here. He said, let's go back and take a look. And he began, the Bible says that Moses, the first five books of the Bible, and went through the prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, all of them went through the prophets and he showed them himself in Scripture over and over. Boy, I need somebody to help me right here. I don't know how long that walk to Emmaus was, but it wasn't long enough. I don't know how long, I, I, I don't know how long it was, but it wasn't long enough. Can you imagine walking with Jesus and him saying, Let's go back to Genesis chapter number 3. That seed of the woman, that was me. Is everybody all right? And went straight home. I mean, right through Scripture pointing out over and over again where he was in Scripture, in typology and everything else. Bible says, verse number 28, And they drew nigh to the village whither they went, And he made as though he would have gone further, (laughs) teasing them. I told you he's playing with them. He was toying with them earlier, talking about what things? What things y'all talking about? They said, man, you a stranger. Have you not known what's going on in the last three days? Jesus said, tell me about it. And now he done walking with them. He's opening up God's Word in such a manner they have never seen before in their life. And the Bible says he's going to just go on and leave them. They wouldn't have had it, though. Verse number 29, look here. The Bible says, but they constrained him. I need somebody to hear me right here. This isn't they asked him. They grabbed hold of him. Is everybody all right? This is, come here, Dalton. This is, they grabbed hold of him. This is them walking together, and Jesus will let him be Jesus, because I can't, I, I ain't even qualified to be close and they say, hold on, don't, don't leave us. Don't, don't leave us. 
I need somebody to hear me right here. Don't, don't, don't leave us. This is what the word constrain means. It doesn't mean, hey, you want to stop by for dinner? No. This means you coming to dinner. Thank you, Dalton. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us that the disciples were constrained by Jesus to get in the boat. We think that he, he, he suggested they get in the boat. No, Jesus told them get in the boat. Constrained is, it, 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 for our, our vocabulary is not a strong enough word, but they literally said, no, you can't go. In other words, when they got around him and they, 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 they got in his presence, they didn't want to ever be out of it again. Uh, it wasn't by their, they, hey, it wasn't a, hey, Jesus, I'd love for you to stick around, but hey, man, I got to go corn up some deer stands. Is everybody all right? Uh, I'd love for you to hang around, Jesus, but we got somewhere to be this afternoon, so we're going to, we'll see you later. Uh-uh. This was a, Jesus, you ain't going nowhere, and whatever plans I had just changed. They constrained him, saying, abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. I like it. I like it. I believe in Revelation. The Bible says that Jesus stands at the door and knocks. If you and I will invite him, come on now. He'll come in and sup with us. Problem is, is that most of us want him out of the house, not in the house. Everybody, I'm going to walk over on this side and say it again, all right? Problem with most people is they want him out of their house <laughs> instead of in the house. Said, abide with us. For it's toward evening and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. Verse number 30. Keep on going, Miss Michelle. And it came to pass as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it. <laughs> hey, man, not only did they get teaching from Jesus, but now he's praying. He took the bread, the Bible says, he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. Verse number 31, the Bible says, and their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. All right, verse number 32. Y'all having fun? Look here, if you don't like reading your Bible, there's something wrong with you. All right, here we go. And they said one to another. Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? This morning, just for a few moments, and I'll be done, I promise. I'm not going to keep you very long. But this morning, what does it mean to you to have a heart on fire for God? What does it mean to us? How can you and I have a heart that's on fire for God? And I need everybody to look at me right here because some of you have heard sermons preached out of this passage of Scripture and you think you know all there is to know about the Bible. The fact is is that most of us having a knowledge of the Bible and applying it to our lives are two different things. We know what we're supposed to do Come on, help me out. We don't always do it. I'm going to need more than four or five people to say amen right there. We know what we're supposed to do, but we don't always find ourselves doing that. That's the difference in knowledge and application. 
Knowledge is knowing what we're supposed to do. Application is actually doing it. So all of us can say that we've got knowledge that we've not applied. I need, man, y'all better stay with me. We got knowledge that we ain't applied. We know that we're supposed to obey our parents, right, teenagers? Don't get quiet on me here. Y'all get, this is y'all's chance to say, amen, preacher. We know that we're supposed to obey our parents, but we don't do it. All the parents are elbowing their kids right now saying, you need to listen. And the Holy Spirit is saying, you too. <laughs> hey, like, hey, you need to listen to this. He's talking about obeying the, obeying your parents. And the Holy Spirit is going, you do too. He's talking about obeying the word. Everybody all right? So how can I, how can I maintain, how can I keep a heart that's on fire for him? Do you want it? Absolutely. We all do. I mean, we'd be crazy to say that we don't want a heart that's on fire for God. We know all the vernacular. We know how to say it. We know how to come in here. We raise our hands. We know how to shout. We know how to do all these things. But what is it that keeps our heart burning for Him? Even after we've walked out of the services. It's real easy to get in corporate worship and to get excited. It's real easy to get in corporate worship and have them sing the judgment. And boy, they're saying, praise Him. It's real easy for us to throw our hand up. It's real easy for us while a song is touching our heart and tears are flowing out of our eyes. Praise Him. What happens on Monday morning? When you woke up late because the alarm clock didn't go off or you hit snooze three too many times. I need somebody to help me. All of a sudden you're behind, you're running, you get to work, and then you got to deal with that coworker. You got to deal with that boss man. Are we having fun yet? How do I keep my heart on fire for God? I'm going to take a look at it just for a few seconds. I'm, I promise you we're going to be real quick with it. How can I do that? I want you to notice first off, for me to have a heart that's on fire, when I have a heart that's on fire, it's when I am in full companionship with the Lord. I need you to hear me right here. The Bible says that as they walked along on their way, Jesus came to where they were at. I, the Bible points out that there was two of them that was talking too. Is everybody all right? I started to call this one communication. Because many of us can talk about football. We can talk about everything else in the world. But we cannot and will not talk about God. But the Bible says where two or three are gathered together in my name. The Bible says there I'll be in the midst. And here we have two disciples talking about Jesus. And Jesus shows up. If I'm going to keep a heart that's on fire for God, then I'm going to have to stay in companionship with God. Oh, I need some married people to say amen right here. If you're going to keep a good marriage, you're going to have to be in companionship. Communication with that woman. I love it when people tell me, they say, man, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You're right. And you don't have to go home to be married. But it makes for a lot better. (laughs) It makes for a better marriage when you come to the house. Can I get a witness right there? I'm just throwing it out there. It makes for a better Christian when you come to the house. 
And many of us, we have, we'll, we'll take God or leave God. If it's our, hey, if we got something going on, we'll put God on the back burner. He'll understand. I'm having fun. You tell the people that said amen, say it again, because there's some people in here that they ain't saying nothing. We sit there, we throw everything in the world in front of God, and then wonder why our hearts ain't on fire. Preacher, I would be at church next week, but I got this going on. You done planned to miss. But then try to convince the world that you want your heart on fire for God. That'd be like, I want a good marriage. <laughs> but honey, I ain't going to be home this week. I'm going to hang out with the guys. Man, y'all give me some rough looks. Y'all want me to sit down? I'll sit down. Why is it so hard for us if we are supposed to have a relationship with him? Why is it so hard for us to understand that we should be in communication with him? And companionship. Well, how are we going to have a heart on fire for God when we can take God or leave Him? Did y'all hear what they did? The Bible says they constrained Him. Well, I would constrain Him, but I have... <laughs> I got something I got to do this week. I Don't get me wrong. I want Jesus to be there. Are y'all okay? Man, y'all are looking... Y'all are mean mugging me bad. I can't even see good, and I know you mean bugging me this morning. This ain't the kind of preaching you wanted. You want to be come in here and me tell you that you was going to get a Corvette this week. That's what Joel said. I'm trying to help you. You told me you wanted a heart that was on fire for God, but you won't spend no time with him. Or you spend, you spend the bare minimum with him. Man, me and my wife, I, I told y'all this before. We've been married 29 years, praise the Lord. I have to keep reminding her because she don't know. I know all the dates. I know when our first date was. I, I know when our first kiss was. I, I, I got it all. She don't remember none of that stuff. Apparently it wasn't that good. Anyhow, <laughs> I constantly remind her, stay with me. And I, hey, I love to be with her. Ain't nobody I'd rather be with. Ain't not a person in this building, not even my kids, that I'd rather be with than my wife. I spend all I spend all kind of time with her. We get up in the morning, and when she's being a good wife, she fixes me breakfast. When she's mad at me, she just tells me to stop by Chick Fil A. We eat lunch together. We eat supper together. We go on golf cart rides together every day. Why? Because I have a relationship with her. Many Christians today have no kind of relationship with God. I got to move on. I know that's a, I know that point right there. We need to just stop right there and just end the day on that. The fact of the matter is, as many of us won't, a heart on fire with God, but we don't want His companionship. Oh, we want it, but we're not willing to make sacrifices to make sure. Is everybody all right? Say amen. I'll move on. I know you're mad at me. There'll be companionship. Verse number 15 said Jesus came to him. 
Not only that, there'll be clarity. There'll be clarity. What do you mean by that, preacher? That means I'll know fully who he is, and I'll know fully why he came. Many of us don't understand fully who he is. How do you say, how do you come up with that, preacher? The fact of the matter is, is that many of us treat God like he's our friend. I'm going to go over here and say it. Many of us treat Jesus like he's our friend. When he's our creator. He's our Lord. And so in Scripture here, the Bible says that He expounded unto them in the Scripture, starting at Moses through the prophets, Himself. If I'm going to have a heart that's on fire for God, not only am I going to have to be in constant uh, communication or companionship with Him, but I'm going to need to have a real clear view of who He really is. He ain't my homeboy. Is everybody all right? He ain't my buddy. He ain't my friend. He ain't my mate. He ain't my, I, 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 I remember watching one of the movies, the Crocodile Dundee movie, and they talking about, she asked him about God, and he said, yeah, me and him be mates. No. We're not even on a, we're not even close to being on the same level of who he is. And when you understand who God is and who he really is, then you understand, if you come to Sunday school on a Sunday morning and get into Hebrews and find out who God really is, who Jesus really was, then you have a greater understanding of his love for you. And it's a lot easier to be in constant companionship. Let me tell you something. If my wife didn't love me, I wouldn't be hanging around with her so much. I need somebody to say amen. When you have a good understanding of how much he loves you, your heart will burn to be with him, to be in his presence, to walk with him, to talk with him, to communicate with him. There's so many today, we ain't got time. In words, We say we want a heart on fire for God, but not in our actions. How bad do you want it this morning? I got three other ones. Y'all want to hear them or y'all want me to quit right there? Y'all are quiet. I don't mind giving an altar call and letting you get right with the Lord. It's hard to, it's hard to, reconcile the two things, but you can't say, I want a heart on fire for God, but I only want to be around Him when I say. I'm going to have, if I'm going to have a heart on fire for God, I'm going to have to have a heart that constantly wants companionship. Seeks clarity in who He is. Number three. Not only companionship and clarity, but number three, a constraining. The Bible says, verse number 29, but they constrained him. I, I, I showed you what that meant. But how many of us really want him so much so that we're not going to let him get away? They desired for him to come, not, not just walk with them but to come into the very intimate parts of their life. Come into my home. Come sit with me. 
They desired to be in His presence. Do you? Y'all ain't answering that one so quickly, are you? When I said that you want to have a heart that's on fire for God, everybody said, yeah, when I say you desire Him to be in every aspect of your life. Come on. Hey, I could show up at your door and knock. Hold on, preacher. Come on, y'all. Hold on, preacher. We got to put some things away. Now, you ask me how I know that, because when my preacher showed up at my door, me and Michelle had to hide all the shot glasses. Is everybody all right? Hold on, preacher. Hold on. We got some things we need to hide before you come into the house. So I know you do, too. All you ladies that say, no, I ain't got nothing like that. Man, I promise you, if I knocked on your door, you'd spend 10 minutes running around your house at 100 miles an hour, getting your heart rate up out of the roof, trying to put all the clothes that you have yet to fold up. I know who I'm talking about. Yeah, careful. Careful. Don't. These men are agreeing. You better be careful about agreeing when you sit next to her, all right? I say, preacher, how do you know that? Because I can show you where all of our baskets are hid. They desired for him to be in every aspect of their life. I want a heart on fire for God, preacher, then we're going to have to come into a place of constant companionship, a place of clarity on who he is in our life, a constraining a desire to have him around us more. I'll be, I'm done. I told you I was going, I was going to be quick and I am. Today, you're going to make a decision before you walk out of here. You come to church, it's just another day at church. That's how most of us are treated Sunday. It's just another day at church. But I asked, How many of you want a heart on fire for God? How many of you want a heart on fire for God? And you said, me preacher, me preacher. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I told you, there's some requirements for that. There's two more. I'm not going to give them to you. (laughs) My preacher, he'd always, he'd preach one message. He said, you didn't pay for the second one. I ain't giving it to you. Talking about his points. I've given you three, that if we live by those three, not counting the two I ain't giving you, but if we'll just do those three, you know, I have a heart that's on fire for God. Why wouldn't you? I keep going back to my Sunday school class because, man, it helped me. I'm telling you it helped me. When you really see who God really is, when you understand who Jesus really is, When you understand the love that he had for you and I, how could anybody in their right mind say I'm a Christian and not be completely sold out and on fire for him? You and I were destined for hell. God said it's going to take a sacrifice. Blood will have to be shed. And so he came himself. 
he, he didn't create another man to try it all over again. The Bible says he became man for us. He lived a sinless life. Went to a cross and died not because of what he did. Everybody look at me. Everybody look at me. We get all distracted in church. Everybody look at me. He died on that cross for you. But God commended his love towards us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He, he did that for me and you. He didn't send somebody else to die for us. He came himself, God in the flesh. When no man could withstand his wrath, he became man and took his own wrath. Y'all, I don't understand how any of us can sit in a building and our hearts not burn over what God did for us. I'm reminded of a story. I had a, I had a 76 Chevrolet. Three on the tree. I paid $500 for it. Had a 305 in it. It wasn't very fast or anything, but I promise you I pushed it to the limits. Let me tell you how trucks were made. Is everybody all right? I flipped this truck in a canal. Flipped it. Turned it upside down. Opened the door. Everything fell out of the truck. I was hanging on by the steering wheel. One truck, one side was on one, on both sides. Everybody all right? I walked down the road to the logging crew. They brought a skitter over and they pulled the truck on the road. I cranked it up and went to work. That's back when trucks were trucks. Is everybody all right? Like a rock meant something back then. But anyhow, that truck had a bench seat. Not like today. Today, they, they, they make you think you're a pilot. They put you in a cockpit. You got all this stuff around you, computers all around you and everything else. And here you are, you're sitting in your little truck and everything else. Back then, there was a bench seat. I grew up, I'd go to the farm, spend, spend time in, on the farm during, during the summer. My grandpa had a 77. My grandmother would sit on that bench Right up next to Grandpa. I mean, have you seen Grandpa driving around in that baby blue Chevrolet and Granny was with him? You couldn't tell. There wasn't no space between them. They were right there together. I mean, they'd been together for years and nothing would change that. Michelle would ride with me in that truck. Mine was mine was red, but it was it it, it been in the sun so long it, by, it was like an orange. Is everybody all right? She ride right up next to me, like they did back in the day. 
But if there was ever a problem, I need somebody to help me right here. She sit way over on the other side. <laughs> y'all know what I'm talking about. Hey, some of y'all have experienced that on the couch. <laughs> way over on the other side. Plenty of room in between us. Like for six people to get in there. I remember a story of this very thing happening. And a woman looks at her husband and she says, you just don't love me like you used to. We get in the truck and you don't open the door for me. You don't help me get in. You don't help me get out of the truck anymore. Say so we go to town and you don't. We don't sit close to one another anymore. You don't put your arm around me anymore. You don't tell me you love me anymore. An old man, as wise as he was, he looked at her and he said, the steering wheel ain't moved. The steering wheel ain't moved. We can complain that we're not close to him anymore. We can complain he don't put his arm around us enough, or he don't do this, or he don't do that. The fact is, the steering wheel ain't moved. It ain't because he's gotten farther from us. It's because we have gotten farther from him. This morning, Dalton's coming to the pen. Heads are bowed, and you're coming to the altar. Don't don't sit in your seat this morning. I know you got your pretty dress on. You don't want to come sit down here and do all this other stuff. But if we're going to say we got we want a heart that's on fire with God, then it's about time we start moving over near the steering wheel. About time that we start giving up our comfort zone over there by the window, start sliding across the seat and getting closer to Him. So I feel like a lot of times. We act like it's God's responsibility to have my heart on fire. It's not. God wants to be in companionship with you. He wants to be in fellowship with you. And if He is not, if your heart's not burning for God, it ain't His fault. If you're not where you need to be as a Christian, it ain't His fault. Maybe you need to come get some companionship. Maybe you need to come and just fall at his feet and get some clarity on who he really is. Maybe this morning you need to come constrain him. Say, God, I don't want to leave here without you. God, I don't want to go another day without you. I don't want to go another hour. I don't want to go another moment. I don't, I, I don't want to leave this place. I, I, I want to be in your presence. We ought to come to church that way. Instead of worrying about what time we're going to get out and whether or not we're going to get chicken, it ought to be such that when God is here, we don't want to leave. Preacher, give us a four-hour sermon. Give us a five-hour sermon. No, we, God, we'll, we'll catch up with you next Sunday. Preacher, why is the world like it is? Because Christians aren't burning for God anymore. We're just going through the motions, checking off a list. I went to church, check. 
I prayed over my meal. Check. I helped somebody at the grocery store. Check. This morning, nobody looking around. It's hard to have a heart on fire for him when you don't really know it. You can have a knowledge of him, but not really know it. It's easy to have a knowledge of somebody. We've all, living in the South, we've all heard about Jesus. We all know about him. But that ain't the question I'm asking this morning. What I'm asking this morning is, do you really know him? Do you have a relationship? Do you understand that he came and he died for you in your place? And he wants to have fellowship, a relationship, companionship with you. Say, doesn't he do that for everybody? No, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. We can't box him up and make him our religion. The Bible says this. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's only one way. So this morning, when I ask you a question, I want you to be honest with the preacher. If you were to die sitting where you are this morning, do you know where you'd spend eternity? Do you have a relationship with him? If you stood... Before Jesus right now. Do you know that you'd spend eternity in heaven? Say, preacher, I'm not sure. Preacher, they, I, I'm not sure. I, preacher, I, I have some doubts. If that's you this morning, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to raise your hand up. Nobody's looking around. I just want you to be honest with me so I know how to end the service. Is there anybody in here? Raise it up enough where I can see. I'm not going to send anybody to you or embarrass you. I'm just asking you to be honest with me. Is there anybody like that this morning? Okay, I see it. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Be honest with me this morning. Thank you. You can put your hand up. Anybody else? Fixing to pray. I want you to be honest with me. I'm not going to embarrass you no more than I embarrassed any of them. Preach, I do not know. Just raise your hand right up where I can see it and you can put it back down. All right, our Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. God, I sure am thankful, Lord, that you love us. Lord, I can't tell you how much my heart, how good it was my heart during Sunday school this morning to see how much you love me. God, I pray that through the morning service, through Sunday school, I have shown others how much you love them. Lord, we've come to a point in the service, Lord, where decisions are being made. Lives are being changed. Lord, there's several that are here this morning, not just one, but several I counted at least three hands that went up this morning. 
three individuals that say, I'm not sure. God, I pray right now, Lord, that you'd help us help them. Lord, give them the courage to do what many of us have done. Lord, that's come to you. In Jesus' name, head still bowed with me. If you raise your hand, I want you to listen to me. I can help you today if you'll let me. But the decision is yours. It'd be real easy to sit there and say, oh, somebody's going to say something. Somebody's going to laugh. Somebody's going to, but that ain't, hey, listen to me. That ain't nothing but the devil messing with you. God loves you and he has demonstrated his love for you on that cross. He bore the shame in front of the whole world to be able to reconcile you to the Father. He died for you. And this morning, through faith and trust in Him, you can leave out of this building knowing where you'd spend eternity. If you'll let me do that this morning, this is what I want you to do. I want you to get up out of your seat and come to me this morning. Let me help you. Let me get you some help. I'm not asking you to do something I didn't do. September 28, 1997, I got up out of the seat. I walked down the aisle. I got saved. God changed my life. I'm not asking you to do something different than what I did. This morning, will you come? I'm right down front on the floor. I promise you, first step's the hardest. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for this morning. Lord, I pray that our church be a church that's on fire for you, full of Christians that have hearts on fire for you. God, I pray this week, Lord, we make an effort to be in companionship with you. To get to know you better. Some clarity. God, I pray. The Lord, we make you a priority in our life and constrain you to spend time with us. Lord, I love you this morning. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your sacrifice. I thank you for your blood. I thank you for saving me. Lord, I pray you take what was said this morning. May it burn in our hearts all through the